welcome to another episode of The Sisters Will See You Now. As we discussed on our last episode, April is National Minority Health Month. So let's talk about a disease that affects all minority groups at higher rates than whites, diabetes. Dr. Keisha is especially passionate about diabetes. So Dr. Keisha, what is diabetes, aka the sugars? Yes, I am passionate about diabetes. I have so many patients with it and there's so much you can do to prevent it and so much you can do to treat it. Um, So what is diabetes or sugar, as a lot of folks like to call it? Diabetes is a problem with insulin production and utilization. So insulin is a hormone in your body that helps to regulate blood sugar. And when there's not enough insulin around, then sugar builds up in your blood. And what happens when you put too much sugar in something? It gets syrupy, right? And so something similar happens in your body. You can think about... um, you know, that sugar going and gunking up your systems. So it settles in the small vessels of the kidney, causing kidney disease, which can lead to kidney failure and dialysis. It affects the nerves and blood vessels in the eye, causing something called retinopathy, which can lead to blindness. And it coats the small nerves in the fingers and toes, causing numbness and tingling and sometimes even burning pain called neuropathy. This numbness as well causes decreased circulation, making it easier to develop ulcers in the feet that don't heal. And when these infections don't heal, they can go to the bone and sometimes folks need amputations. It also affects those blood vessels in the heart and brain, making it more likely to develop blood clots, blockages, causing heart attacks and strokes. Diabetes is such a risk factor for heart disease that when doctors think about people with diabetes, we treat them like somebody who has already had a heart attack. So um, where diabetes, there's lots of um, risk for people to have other complications, and that's why we worry about diabetes so much. But there's also a lot of opportunity because if you treat diabetes and prevent diabetes, you can prevent so many other complications further down the line. Awesome. Thank you for that info about what diabetes is. I think the next question that a lot of people have is they hear about this type 1 diabetes versus type 2 diabetes. What does that even mean? Yeah, so there's two types of diabetes. The first we call type 1. It used to be called juvenile diabetes, but we now know that adults can get it too. And it's an autoimmune disease, so meaning the body is really fighting against itself. And the body is attacking the pancreas, which is the organ that makes insulin. People with type 1 diabetes are usually diagnosed really quickly because the onset is just really dramatic. They often um, start insulin very quickly after they're diagnosed. And because it's usually diagnosed so quickly, it can be 20 years or more before they develop any of those symptoms that we were talking about early, retinopathy, neuropathy, all of those things. Type 2 diabetes, it used to be referred to as adult onset diabetes, but Unfortunately, more and more we're seeing children and teenagers develop diabetes. Um, And largely, it's a result of obesity. Um, This type 2 diabetes is the most common type of diabetes, and it's usually due to obesity. So what happens with type 2 diabetes is there is enough insulin around, but the body becomes insensitive to it. We call this insulin insensitivity, meaning the body doesn't see the insulin that's there. And as a result, the pancreas has to keep increasing the amount of insulin that it makes. At this time, 
you know, medication, diet, and exercise are used to treat. But at some point, the pancreas might not be able to keep up with the demands of the body and just kind of poop out. And at that point, that's when insulin is needed. Type 2 diabetes has a much more gradual onset. So it's kind of like slowly turning up the temperature on a stove. And many folks don't even show any symptoms until their sugars are very high. So because of that gradual onset, the side effects tend to show up sooner more like 10 years after diagnosis as opposed to 20. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Type 1 tends to happen in younger folks, not really associated with obesity. Type 2 tends to happen in older folks, definitely in association with um, overweight and obesity. And I think what's really interesting and kind of scary about diabetes is that in the last 20 years, the number of adults diagnosed with diabetes has more than tripled as the U.S. population has aged and become more overweight. And now there are more than 30 million Americans with diabetes, which is 10% of the entire country, which is crazy. That's just astronomical. You know, with all of that diabetes, you think about, gosh, how do we treat it? How do we tackle it? You know, Dr. Maya, can you talk to us a little bit about what the different um, treatments are? I know there's some pills and there's some shots. Sure. So mainly when we think about um, medications for diabetes, it used to just be oral medications or insulin. And so depending on the severity of your diabetes, when you were diagnosed, if your diabetes was fairly well controlled, which for people who have diabetes, we either are looking for a blood sugar number from a finger prick, or we're looking at something called a hemoglobin A1C, which shows us how much sugar on average has been in your bloodstream in the last three months. Um, Depending on what those numbers look like, if you're pretty well controlled, we would go ahead and start you on an oral medication. And if you were severely uncontrolled, then we would start that talk about insulin earlier. Uh, A lot of people are scared about insulin because it's an injection and a lot of people don't want to inject themselves. Um, But today with these new medications and all of the research that's coming out, we've got lots of exciting medications. um, And there's a whole kind of new gamut of medications that are injection medications that are not insulin. And some of them you get to use as infrequently as once a week, which is pretty cool. And I think the important thing to recognize is regardless of what stage of diabetes you might be diagnosed with and at. And regardless of what medication you're started on, whether it be an oral medicine or insulin or one of the newer injectable medicines that is not insulin, diet and lifestyle change are really important at any stage. So paying attention to what you're eating, getting out and getting more exercise. Medications are not a replacement for making those changes in your life. You can't out eat um, the medicine. Excellent point. Dr. Keisha, thank you for giving all of us that background information about diabetes. Let's take a break and digest it. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Sisters Will See You Now, Episode 6, Diabetes. All right. Now let's get back to prevention. This is what's really exciting. So the best news about diabetes is that it is preventable. There is something called prediabetes. So more than 84 million U.S. adults, that's almost one in three people have prediabetes. Look to your left, look to your right, 
one of the three of you probably has prediabetes. So prediabetes is when the blood sugar is higher than normal, but not high enough yet to be diagnosed with diabetes. So how do you know if you're pre-diabetic? How about we take a little quiz? Everybody loves a quick pop quiz. All right, so get your hands ready. I want you to hold up a one finger if you're in your 40s, two fingers if you're in your 50s, three if you're in your 60s or older. Thank goodness I don't have any fingers up yet. All right, not looking at you, Dr. Keisha. Yeah, All right. One finger. <laughs> I want you to put up a finger if you're a man. I want you to put up a finger if you're a woman who, when you were pregnant, you had gestational diabetes. I want you to put up a finger if you have a mother, father, sister, or brother with diabetes. Another finger if you have high blood pressure. And another finger if you're not physically active like we talked about last episode. If your body mass index shows that you're overweight, you get one finger. Obese, you get two fingers. And three fingers if you're very obese, which means a BMI over 40. We'll give you a second so you can Google what your BMI is. All right. Now, looking at your fingers, if you have five or more fingers up, you are likely to have prediabetes. And though a quiz is fun, the only way that you can really be diagnosed is if you see your doctor so you can have some blood testing done. The good news is, is if you know you have prediabetes, you can do something about it. And, you know, if you talk to people who have diabetes and if you told them, you know what, 10 years ago, you could make a few small changes, you probably wouldn't develop diabetes. Most of them would jump on that. So you definitely want to, if you had you know, five or more fingers up, you definitely want to get into your doctor to talk about it. So what are those things that you can do to help prevent or delay diabetes? The good news is it doesn't take much. So losing five to 10% of your body weight, that's just 10 to 20 pounds if you're a 200-pound person. Um, helps a lot. Getting more regular exercise, as we talked about in the um, last episode, getting that 150 to 300 minutes a day. 153 minutes a week. Yes. If you're doing 300 minutes a day, then we got other issues to talk about. We have a lot of other things to talk about. I don't know how you have that much time. 150 to 300 minutes a week. Um, there are also medications that can be helpful for prediabetes, metformin in particular, um, but even more than medication is lifestyle change. So there was a study done, a large study done several years ago that looked at metformin, which is a medication versus lifestyle change, which was um, intensive diet and exercise and compared the two. The folks who did the lifestyle change had lower rates of diabetes later. So yes, exercise and diet did better than medication in preventing diabetes. Because of that study, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, has created the Diabetes Prevention Program. This is just such an exciting program. It's going on throughout the country. In the last couple of years, Medicare now covers this program. So if you or somebody that you know has Medicare, you can get this take advantage of this program for free. It's a community-based program. So the goal is that it's taking place in libraries and YMCAs and on people's jobs. Um, and you work with a coach, but a lot of it is really group activity um, to get folks moving. So look 
look up this program, the Diabetes Prevention Program. Um, it can help lower the risk of developing type 2 diabetes by as much as 58%. And if you're over 60, it lowers it even more. So, you know, search out one of these programs, try and find it. And you can have um, great success in preventing diabetes with it. Awesome. So the take-home point is that the best treatment is prevention. Surprise, surprise, you would hear that from two family doctors. They've never heard that from us before. (laughs) All right. So I feel like we've done justice to the topic of diabetes. We've learned what it is. We've learned what the types are. We've talked a little bit about what medications are available. And most importantly, we've talked about prevention. I think that means it's time to go to the patient portal. Dr. Keisha, what do you think? I think so. So, Dr. Maya, is diabetes genetic? Excellent question in the patient portal. The answer is yes and no, especially for people uh, with a family history. You're just at an increased risk of getting diabetes. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing you can do to prevent it. Living a healthy lifestyle, getting the physical activity that we talked about, eating a heart-healthy, low-carbohydrate diet can do a lot to help decrease your risk of developing diabetes. And, you know, when we talk about genetics, there's also this kind of nature versus nurture. So um, are you at an increased risk for developing diabetes because of the genetics, you know, that you inherited from your parents? Partly. but also partly because you probably tend to eat more like your parents. And if your parents are overweight and those are the types of foods that you grew up liking, then that may increase your risk later on. So there's a nature and nurture part to um, the risk for diabetes. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, when they ask the, like, is this genetic question are kind of alluding to like, is there a gene that you've found that we can fix and take out? And then I won't be diabetic. Unfortunately, I cannot say yes to that question. We have not found a specific gene that says you will have diabetes. Sorry. You got to do the exercise and eat right. All right. Dr. Keisha, will there ever be a cure? That is a great question. There are all these ads on the radio that I kept hearing about, come to this talk and you can cure your diabetes. Well, first let's look at type 1 and type 2 diabetes. So type 1 diabetes, which we know is a problem with the pancreas, we're actually getting pretty close to solving that. And I wouldn't be surprised that in the next 10 or 20 years, we actually have a cure for type 1 diabetes. Um, Some of the um, insulin and blood testing systems that have been created almost... um, mimic what the body does, um, where the bot, the machine can check the blood sugar and then give the appropriate amount of insulin in a closed circuit system without the patient having to do anything. And that's really exciting, cutting back on the number of finger sticks that one has to do um, and the number of injections that one has to do. For type 2 diabetes, because the problem is more insulin resistance, there isn't a... Um, cure per se, because there isn't one organ that we're trying to fix. I will say, however, that um, you can control it. I have patients who came to me um, and they're newly diagnosed with diabetes that was uncontrolled and we put them on insulin. And then, like I said earlier, it's not just the insulin, you also have to work on the diet and lifestyle. So we did that intensively. And then their sugars got better. We were able to stop the insulin. Eventually, we were even able to stop the medications. 
Now, I wouldn't say that they are cured because they still have to maintain that diet and they still have to maintain that exercise. And if they stop doing it, then their diabetes will get worse and they'll have to go back on medication and they might have to go back on insulin. So is it a cure? Not cured. They still have it, but it's definitely well controlled without medication. So Dr. Maya, you know, what's the right thing to eat? Are there any particular foods that I should just stay away from? So things that make your sugar go high will make your diabetes worse. What makes your sugar high? Eating sugar. So carbohydrates, things like rice and bread and pasta and cakes and cookies and sweets will all make your sugar go high. Um, A major thing that I think probably both Dr. Keisha and I try to focus on with our patients is decreasing the amount of sugary drinks. Okay, so coffee's not bad for you, but if you go to Starbucks every day and you have a frappe for breakfast, there's a lot of sugar in that. Anything that has added sugar in it is not going to do anything to help your diabetes. So definitely focusing on a low carbohydrate, heart healthy diet, um, eating lots of vegetables, lean meats, proteins that are cooked in a healthy way, fried things have a lot of carbohydrates in them. Um, So definitely your diabetic patients that we see that are starting and we're starting the education process, decreasing your intake of carbohydrates. Does that mean that people with diabetes should never have carbs? You can never not have carbs. I apologize for the double negative. I'm sure my mother is cringing at hearing it. But (laughs) foods have carbohydrates in them. You are going to eat carbohydrates in your daily life, okay? So what that means is that a lot of our diabetic patients count the carbs, which means they're mindful of what they're eating. They're paying attention to how many carbohydrates are in the foods that they're eating so they know exactly how many carbohydrates they take in. It would be impossible to live a life where you're not eating any carbs. That's right. And so it doesn't mean cake is a never food, but it does mean it's a sometimes food and not an everyday food. Thank you, Cookie Monster. (laughs) It's an important life lesson for all of us. That's right. All right. Dr. Keisha, I got this question in my patient portal. My grandmother started insulin and then she had her foot cut off. Does insulin increase the risk of amputation? You know what? That that sounded very medical. The way this question came into my patient portal was my grandmother had diabetes. She started insulin and her foot cut off. Was it the insulin's fault? So this is a great question. We get this a lot and it's a misconception about insulin. Um, Insulin does not increase risk for amputations. In fact, it decreases the risk because you're better controlling blood sugar. And when the blood sugar is better controlled, less likely to have um, complications from diabetes. However, a lot of times people wait too long to start insulin. And some of those um, adverse effects or bad effects have already started in the process. So somebody um, has already had bad circulation because of diabetes, or maybe they have an ulcer because their diabetes is out of control. They start insulin to try and get the diabetes under control, but it's already too late. Um, And so one of the things that we've learned is to start insulin earlier, and then folks are much less likely to have those complications like um, amputations and and things like that. So Dr. Maya, um, 
you know, one of the things, some of my patients have to be on prednisone for different things and they're worried about diabetes. So does high doses of prednisone or steroids, um, does that cause diabetes? So here's the thing about steroids. They are great medications for some issues, illnesses, diseases. However, they do have side effects. And so a lot of our patients who have to be like, we have a lot of diabetic patients who might have to be on steroids and steroids will increase your blood sugar. So our diabetic patients who are on steroids, we make sure to tell them that they need to watch their blood sugar closer so that their blood sugar is not going too high and being uncontrolled. So that means that steroids, even in a patient without diabetes will also cause their blood sugar to go up. And as we discussed, having high amounts of sugar in your blood over the long term increases the risk of diabetes. It just kind of makes your pancreas work harder to produce that insulin and it just kind of burns out. So unfortunately, having to be on steroids for a long time does increase your risk of diabetes. That does not mean that you shouldn't take steroids if you need them. It just means that we kind of need to be more aware and cognizant of what's going on. All right, Dr. Keisha, this is a problem we fight on a regular basis. It drives us crazy, but I'm sure it drives the patients even more crazy. Why is insulin so expensive? Oh, yeah, big pharma. You can blame the pharmaceutical companies. So, you know, insulin has been around for a long time, over 100 years. And usually when a drug has been out for a long time, it gets cheaper, but not so with insulin. And especially in the last few years, the prices have really skyrocketed, skyrocketed. Part of this is due to some new types of insulin. There's some new insulins that are a little bit more concentrated, different formulation, but others are to just the potential for more drug profits. All right. Last question. Um, and I will, I will pass this one along to Dr. Keisha because she works in a more holistic integrative practice than I do. She might know a little bit more about the homeopathy. Uh, Dr. Keisha, does cinnamon help prevent diabetes? And if so, how much should I take? So there's um, some, there is some mixed data about cinnamon, um, about, you know, one study showed that one to six grams of cinnamon daily decreased cholesterol and blood sugar. Um, Another study didn't show any effect. You So it may be helpful. A few comments on that. So one, you don't want to take the cinnamon by itself. People have heard about the cinnamon challenge. So you don't want to just like try and swallow a teaspoon of cinnamon. It will burn your throat. People have ended up in the emergency room, even dying from trying to just swallow cinnamon whole. So don't do that. It should be mixed in with something. Um, Also, no one needs to repeat the cinnamon challenge. Yes. Don't go back there. The other thing is often people mix their cinnamon with sugar. That kind of defeats the purpose. I mean, on one hand, yes, it's helpful because you're um, better resistant to the sugar if you're taking it with cinnamon, but often the amount of sugar outweighs the amount of cinnamon and it's really just kind of defeating the purpose. So think about adding cinnamon to certain things, thinking about adding it to your tea or to your coffee and try to limit the sugar that, um, that you do. Another thing that is really helpful um, in decreasing um, sugar levels and also um, cholesterol is fiber. So fiber, fiber, fiber. 
the best way to get fiber is through eating fruits and vegetables, but you can also get fiber from, you know, adding a fiber supplement. There's lots of different brands out there, but fiber helps to, it's almost like a sponge and it helps soak up that extra sugar and that extra cholesterol, dumps it into your, um, into your intestines and gives you nice, healthy, regular poops. Um, so that's Yay, regular poop. It helps with constipation and diarrhea. So another good reason to take fiber. Um, the goal for fiber would be 30 to 45 grams a day. Again, you want to be getting a lot of that from fruits and vegetables, not all just from fiber supplement. And you don't want to just jump to taking 30 to 45 grams of fiber a day. If you haven't been doing it before, you want to work up to it because that's a big load for your stomach. So um, constipation is real. Constipation is real. Yes. Lots of water and keep moving. Exercise helps too. But that's a great thing to help. Um, uh, to help keep the blood sugar levels down. And the other thing that just want to really make sure we emphasize to help control blood sugar is exercise. Exercise, exercise, exercise. It helps your body use the sugar that's there. Um, it decreases the need for insulin. So patients who are on insulin, if they exercise regularly, often can decrease the amount of insulin that they need. Um, and it helps prevent other people with diabetes from ever needing to take insulin. So if you have diabetes or prediabetes, definitely get moving. It makes a big difference. Because you're, the, the, the benefit of exercise is that your muscles eat sugar. And so the more you exercise, the more your muscles are moving and they're going to need more food. And so they will take that sugar out of your bloodstream. Absolutely. So there is one last question here, Dr. Maya. And, um, you know, it's about just I'm sick of having diabetes. I don't really like want to do it anymore. And what do you tell patients who are just kind of over it? So these patients, I feel especially bad for chronic diseases are no fun, especially when you're at the point where things are pretty well controlled, but you still have to prick your finger every day to check your blood sugar. And maybe you're on insulin and you don't want to give yourself injections anymore. And you just kind of get sick of it. And so I have patients that come in all the time and they've been well controlled and then all of a sudden their A1C jumps up, it skyrockets. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? They're, oh, I just got tired of it. Unfortunately, you getting tired of it doesn't make the diabetes go away. And so getting tired of it kind of isn't an option and it's very frustrating and I get it. And we just kind of sit and look at each other and kind of take a minute to be, to talk about, you know, that's really frustrating to have a chronic disease is really frustrating, but we've got to come up with ways to deal with it on a daily basis because it's not gone away. And so not treating it or ignoring it doesn't make it go away. It's not going to make things better. So it's important to kind of come up with new strategies. If you notice that, what used to be really well controlled all of a sudden when you check your blood sugar in the morning, it's kind of spiking up um, or you're not really caring about your diet anymore or you're not getting the physical activity that you used to be getting. That's a good time to kind of maybe reconnect with friends or come in and talk to the doctor. Come see Dr. Maya or I'm sorry, come see Dr. Keisha or myself or your primary care doctor and say, hey, things were going really well for a while and I kind of burnt out and I got tired. So we can talk about ways to figure out how to go forward. We're here to help you. Go see your primary care doctor. I mean, we love you and all, but you should have one. If you're not already our patient, then you should see your primary care doctor. Well, Dr. Maya, I think that brings us to the end of another episode of Sisters Will See You Now. It's been fun. See us on the other side. 
Thank you everyone for listening. If you have questions that you would like us to address in our patient portal or you have ideas for future episodes, please send us an email at sisterswillseeyounow gmail.com. Sisters, we'll see you now at gmail.com. We look forward to getting your questions in our patient portal. We'll see you next time. All right. Have a good one. Bye, everybody. Bye.